the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I've talked about this a few times. It's been about five and a half years since I moved to the Pacific Northwest. And one of the first times I began thinking about moving uh, was when a couple of close friends of mine had their honeymoon in Seattle. And they talked about all of the beauty of the, the trees and the water. And they came back with a souvenir of a coffee cup that had a bunch of umbrellas on it. Uh, and, and that just about sums up the perception of the Pacific Northwest. It's the home of Starbucks coffee, um, and it rains all the time, right? So a coffee cup with umbrellas on it is the perfect souvenir. Uh, and when I finally decided to move up here, I was well aware of the clouds and the rain that this region is known for. And, and honestly, once I arrived, I, I really wasn't too bothered by it. Uh, and it helped I did get here in the summer uh, when everything is perfect, right? It's sunny, it's the perfect temperature, there, there could be nothing better. But, but even once the cloud cover and the light drizzle began, they didn't really seem to make things depressing to me. They just made things cozy. Right? It was all the more reason to snuggle up with a blanket and a nice cup of, well, coffee. Right? And so I was warned about the rain. And the rain didn't bother me too much. But I was not warned about the darkness. And when December and January first set in, it was tangible. I could feel the darkness. It was a darkness that, that I had never quite experienced before. And, and this month, you know, five years later, I still feel that tangible darkness this time of year. And, and like I said, the darkness feels different uh, than the usual nighttime darkness. Somehow it feels a little bit thicker. Somehow darker than its usual self. Do you guys know what I mean? You guys experience that, right? Uh, you know, it, it is, I, I was talking earlier this morning in Bible class, that darkness is so disorienting. It throws me off way more than it feels like it ought to. Uh, I, you know, hardly can tell what time of day it is. The, the other night, a uh, week or so ago, I went to the restroom, started brushing my teeth, kind of getting ready for bed, only to realize that it was like 7.30 <laughs> and not remotely bedtime, right? But it seems like it should be bedtime. You know, it's been dark for nearly three or four hours already. It should be time to go to bed. Um, you know, I get disoriented about what time it is in the day. I also get disoriented about what day it is in the week. Because if it's this dark, then I'm probably staying up late. And if I'm staying up late, it must be the weekend. But actually, it's Tuesday, you know, and, it, and it's 7 p.m. You know, and so it is just so disorienting. And beyond disorientation, right, the darkness that we experience 
this time of year can really just throw things off, right? This time of year, it, it can be easier to feel that anxiety, more anxiety, less patience, more restlessness, but, but with less energy, right? Does anyone else experience this kind of thing? Yeah. It is like the darkness around us slowly begins to reveal the darkness that's within us. And I wonder if this is the real reason why darkness can feel so unsettling. I wonder if this is the real reason why fear of the dark is so prominent. Because I don't, I don't think it's actually that we're afraid of the dark. It's that we're afraid of what that darkness represents. What if there is no light? What if there is nothing good in me or in the world, right? What if there is no hope? What if this darkness is all that there is? These questions, I think, are often lying under the surface. And the darkness just brings them forward. And so we're afraid. I think these questions are not just questions for people living in the Northern Hemisphere during December to ponder, though. These questions have been at the heart of humanity for all time. And I think it's precisely why our scriptures begin the way that they do. Because the first page of the Bible begins to address these questions head on. Right? What if there is no light? Well, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Well, what if there is nothing good? Well, God saw that it was good. You see, from Genesis 1 on, the scriptures tell a story of hope. They tell a story, they make a bold claim that there is light. There is goodness. There is hope. God is a God who dispels darkness. He is a God who calls forth goodness. He is a God in whom we can hope. And John picks up this creation story and narrates its fulfillment in Jesus. He writes the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Just as light entered the darkness in the beginning, so Jesus enters our world to give light to everyone. But here's the problem. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world 
did not recognize him. Now this is a curious phrase because it doesn't say that the world didn't see him. It says that the world didn't recognize him. And so that makes me wonder what it is that the world is looking for. What is it that we think we ought to be looking for? You know, last week as we began this series and this season of Advent, we talked about the Word, right? And that's where John begins. And and we reflected on this and we said that when the Word came to the world, he came not as a booming shout, but rather far more like a quiet whisper. When the word became flesh, it was not in a palace, but in a barn. And there was no nationwide proclamation, but rather an announcement in the middle of nowhere to a few shepherds. The word came as a whisper. And I think this very same thing is true as we reflect on the light entering our darkness. Because the true light came into the world not with a bang and a flash, not like fireworks booming in the sky, but I think quite a lot more like the soft flicker of candles. This is why the symbol of Advent is not a bonfire, but candles. The word came like a whisper, and I think the light came quite like a candle. And I think this is why the world does not recognize him. Because everything in the world trains us to pay attention to whatever is loud and whatever is bright. Our homes are filled with the sound and light of television screens. Day to day, our sights are set often on that bright glow of the smartphone in our hand. We are impressed and entertained with whatever flashy performance is set in front of us. And so when the true light comes into the world, looking more like a candle than a spotlight, we don't recognize him. And this is not only true out in the world, it is true among the people of God as well. It says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I think we often measure our spiritual life in flashy spiritual breakthroughs or following really strict rules and and keeping that up. We measure church success in fancy services and, and big crowds. And in all of this, we end up following wherever bright lights are shining, whatever bright flash gets our attention, and we miss out on the soft glow 
of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is found in mustard seeds and lost coins. The true light shines in the soft flicker of a candle. Or, like the twinkling of a star amidst a dark sky. And and I love that part of the story that we often focus on this time of year, that part where this group of wise men embark on a distant journey by the light of a star. Somehow they saw what everyone else missed. And they didn't only see it, they followed it. Everyone else went on about their life as usual. But these wise men journeyed from the east to Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, a small town. And so this small twinkling sign led them to a small, unexpected place where they found a small, seemingly insignificant child. But this is what it is to be the people of God. We are a people who journey through darkness with our eyes set on the light. And when everyone else seems to be missing it, when everything else is pulling us in other directions, when we find ourselves in in strange and unexpected places, when the light we're following to begin with is only a small flicker or a faint twinkle, we follow it nonetheless. Because that light is enough. The flicker of a candle is enough to cast the darkness away. The twinkle of a star is enough to prove that the dark sky is not all that there is. Though darkness may feel thick and all-encompassing surrounding us, darkness is actually not very strong. A small candle, a distant twinkle, sends it away. Darkness has no substance of its own. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's because the darkness cannot overcome light. And once we have glimpsed this light, we will never be the same. Once we have seen it, we can never unsee it. Once this hope kindles in our hearts, we cannot help but begin to live differently. This is what it is to be the people of God Though we journey in darkness, we trust in the light. Isaiah 
described this in the opening reading that we had this morning. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We are a people walking in darkness, but we've seen a light. How does that light change us? The Apostle Paul describes it this way. In Romans 13, he says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul is describing us as a people, yes, living in the midst of darkness, but a people convinced that dawn is coming. And so we don't live as people in the darkness. We're daytime people. Even when it's dark out, we're daytime people. And we are people who trust that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Every moment, we're drawing a little bit closer. Every moment, dawn is a little bit nearer. And so throughout the Psalms, over and over again, there is this reminder of the watchmen waiting for the morning. That's who we are as the people of God. We are like that rooster that just looks up and the moment that first ray of light appears, it sounds out. This is who we are as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Light is coming. Dawn is on the way. Our dwelling passage points to John as the one who has witnessed the light. It says he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And again, this is who we are as the people of God. Those who have witnessed that light, who have seen the soft glow, the small flicker, that distant twinkle, And we're not responsible to do anything other than share what we've seen. That's what it is to be a witness. We need only share what it is that we've seen. Because what we have seen makes all the difference. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And so we are still a people waiting and watching for the light 
And the dawn that we're waiting for is a dawn of a new day and a new age. Because the prophets were waiting for their Messiah to come. And we are too, as we await the coming of Christ to make all things new, to bring that heavenly city here on earth. It's described this way in Revelation. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb of God is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. This is the dawn that we are watching for, the dawn that we are waiting for. It's the light that we've already glimpsed. And so during this season, I want to invite us all to continue being a people on watch. To be like those watchmen waiting for the morning, looking into the distance, seeing, God, where are you at work? Where is your light shining? And I'll remind you again, as I did last week, one of the ways we can do this is uh, this booklet that many of you contributed to. As we daily approach God in prayer and dwell in his scripture, this is a way of watching for that light. And I want to continue spending some time here as well, waiting and watching. So I want to invite you to enter a posture of prayer, whatever that may be for you. Let's conclude this time in prayer together, waiting and watching. Jesus, you are the light of the world. I pray that you would help us to see you amidst the darkness that we feel so tangibly now this time of year. Jesus, we need your light now more than ever. So as you're in this posture of prayer, I want to ask you to reflect on what are the places of darkness in your life? What are the places of darkness in your own heart? and the places of darkness in the world around you. Jesus, we ask for you to shine your light on us. Shine your light into our hearts. 
and bring hope where there feels hopelessness. But as we remain in this posture of prayer, I want to ask you another question as well. Where are the places that you see light? Not the flashy kind, not the spotlights, but the soft flickers of God's kingdom. Where do you see this in your own life and in the world around you? Lord Jesus, we say thank you for being the true light that enters our darkness. Jesus, we remember that you, who are the light of the world, said to your followers, you are the light of the world. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be witnesses of the light. That we may speak what we have seen. And by doing that, shine that light for all to see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.